I just have to say that one more time. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you all so much. It enlivened it even for me after studying quite a bit. What an absolute joy it is to be here today to be able to look into the eyes of those for whom I pray and I serve as a board of trustee member. To look at faculty face to face. Some of you who God used to transform my life and all of you who research to teach and mentor these students for the kingdom of God of tomorrow. To look at you staff, those of you who keep the grounds beautiful and the rooms cool in the, in the summer and warm in the winter. Those of you who recruit tirelessly students and um, are constantly serving our alumni. To look at you administrators who craft curriculum and fashion formational programs who are there to lead and serve in so many ways possible and to pay all the bills. And today especially to look into the eyes of you students, those for whom all the rest of us serve and labor as unto the Lord. Some of you with joy and excitement in your eyes and some of you maybe with fear and trembling, sometimes questioning the call and sometimes so excited to get out there. It's been over 25 years since I first sat in your seat, and it is amazing how I can remember it like it was just yesterday. I sometimes wonder, and you're going to have to nod or holler about this one, do you still, when you sing happy birthday to someone in the cafeteria, do you still put the woo in there, happy birthday? You don't? Happy. Oh, do you throw paper wads at them? Okay, you do that. <laughs> That's what we did. I always thought it was so rude, but it really was so fun at the same time. You see, I really remember the important matters from seminary. <laughs> but when I look back, I cannot say that, the best, that my seminary years were the best years of my life. But I can say they were the best years for my life. And that prepositional change from of to for is a world of difference. Many of you know, you travel down 68 Harrodsburg Road, you come to the V, you take the left, you go over a few bumps, and you come into Wilmore, called and confident. But then, through the prayers of thousands of people around the world, the Holy Spirit's sanctifying spotlight starts to shine on those areas of your life that are malformed or underformed and begins to do a deep holy work. Hebrews says, for the moment, all discipline is painful rather than pleasant. Later, it yields the peaceful fruits of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And the Proverbs remind us the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. Along with my studying, I invested a lot of time in counseling, in inner healing prayer ministries, and learning to minister to others who have the same needs, which was just about everybody, if we're going to be honest. After graduation, I pulled out of Wilmore one last time, went over a few little hills, came to the Y in the road, went straight on Harrodsburg Road. And I looked physically, I was the exact same Karen. But on the inside, I was totally different. 
As Ezekiel puts it, my heart of stone became a heart of flesh. And it's not a one-and-done experience. I have to stay in the presence of God daily, in accountability and community. Banding is the, the new term we use for that. And I have to even go back to counseling at times to keep that heart soft and pliable and open to the Holy Spirit. It's like Play-Doh and clay. My heart only remains soft and pliable to the Spirit as long as it's being exercised. And along with the biblical and theological and practical training, two of the most valuable aspects of my seminary time were the cultivation of a Christ-like identity and Christ-like instincts, which I continue to have to cultivate every day of my life. The last time I preached in Estes Chapel, I spoke on identity, living for an audience of one, focusing on how Mary's heart chose the better thing. And I literally was almost tempted to re-preach that sermon because I believe that our identity in Christ is the foundation of every Christ follower. If I esteem my life because of my grades or my giftedness, because of my looks or leadership or winsome, winsomeness or wisdom, when the waves of this world crash in on me, I will collapse because I'll find that my life was built on sinking sand. But if my life is built on Christ, the solid rock I stand, my fragile inner world can find strength and courage to walk authentically with others. And I can be a vessel for Christ, a vine through which his fruit is born. I firmly believe we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. As an academic institution, we prioritize the acquisition of knowledge. However, it takes more than knowledge to solve the issues of the heart. You can be smart and stubborn. I can be intelligent and insecure. One can be a genius and riddled with jealousy. I can be a brilliant manipulator. Don't get me wrong. I was two A minuses away from a 4.0. You can see they still bug me a little bit. But <laughs> I love to geek out on the Bible and theology and church history. And I value education. I'd love to do it all over again if I could. But at a seminary, one's personal formation must be on the same priority level as academics. Tests and papers keep us accountable academically, but we must exert extra effort to form our identity and instincts, which will hopefully keep all of us from being an accused Me Too statistic or a burned out, dropped out minister. Praise the Lord for Asbury Seminary. ATS is the only seminary in the nation with a vice presidential level position for formation. The DNA here gets it. And I stay committed to this school because of the holy tension of the head and the heart going hand in hand. A poignant example 
is found in the new movie, I Can Only Imagine, and it is so worth the price of the admission ticket. Please go see it. It traces the, the life of Bart Millard, who wrote the best-selling Christian song of all time by that same title. An agent saw promise in Bart when authenticity would poke through his facade at times. But the brokenness of his abused past hindered him from being used in the fullness of the way God wanted to use him. Once he painfully faced the darkness in his life, it no longer had dominion. And his music ministers to me and millions today and every day. We may or may not have been abused, but there are hurts, hang-ups, and habits that hinder our fullness in Christ. Use this season at Asbury to look squarely with raw honesty at your humanity. God's love will surround you. There will not be a safer community ever in your life. Let me tell you that. And he'll free you. It's very painful. I wish I didn't have to say that, but it is painful. I remember dragging myself out of bed in the Orlean House dorm room, willfully reciting Romans 5. Suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope will not disappoint us because God has poured out his love through our hearts in the, through the Holy Spirit. Ask God to form your identity in him. That is a prayer he is always delighted to answer. My prayer is that these years will be the best years for your life. Now, instincts. Some believe that we are born with instincts. Last week, our family snow skied during spring break, and no one can tell me that putting on awkward, heavy equipment feels natural. Nobody can tell me that riding up to the top of a steep slope with this heavy equipment on and looking down at a steep mountain is anything is instinctual in us, not at all. Then to ski well, those of you that have skied before, to make clean turns, you have to put your weight on the outside um, ski going down, and you literally have to lean into the mountain. Now that is not natural. You know what the natural thing is to do? Is to lean back because you're going down. And then you will have serious wipeouts. And I had plenty of those myself. But hard work, developing form and skills, the skill becomes as natural as riding a bike. Along with identity, instinct formation is critical during your seminary years. It may feel awkward, opposite of your natural predispositions, but with focus and continual practice, you'll find yourself learning to respond instinctively in the spirit. Our teacher today will be King Jehoshaphat. If you have your Bible, please turn to 2 Chronicles 20. And thank you for doing such an amazing job at reading it. I mean, I feel like we could almost say amen and go home because the word was so, so powerful. After college graduation, I was asked to lead a kids' choir, help lead a kids' choir. And our first musical was called Fat, Fat Jehoshaphat. And the, the theme song went, fat, fat, Jehoshaphat, what a good, good king was he. And then after the fast, 
They switched it to flat, flat, Jehoshaphat. What a good, good king was he. But the story has always remained with me. It's chapter 20. It's a textbook example for making good decisions, for leading people through times of uncertainty, for dealing with emotions when you feel overwhelmed and riddled with anxiety, and today to discover a pattern for cultivating Christ-like instincts. First, let's place the story in the historical context, which probably most of you already know, but I always appreciate just getting refreshed back into the historical context. Moses led the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea and into the Promised Land, entered the period of judges until the people begged for a king. So we have Saul, David, and Solomon. Then civil war erupts. And we, have, we end up with the 10 northern tribes of Israel and the two southern tribes of Judah. Each had a series of good and bad kings, and unfortunately we know that most of them, more, more than not, were not were the bad ones. Jehoshaphat was the fourth king of Judah, and he was a very godly one, but not perfect. He reminds me so much of David because whenever he made a mistake or would sin grievously, he knew how to humbly repent and get back into an intimate relationship with God. Just prior, his biggest mistake actually, just prior to chapter 20, was he made an, un, um, an ungodly and unhealthy allegiance with King Ahab of Israel. And after that alliance, Jehoshaphat realized that right and wrong are God's choice, and not 51% of the majority. And he initiated then a nationwide revival in Bible study, and peace rested on the land. So verse 1 and 2, we'll go through some of the verses again. They won't be as beautiful as what we heard, but it's the word of God, so we can, it's power. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and some of the Mayunites, the mosquito bites and termites, just checking to make sure you're awake. I mean, these seats are so comfortable compared to Estes Chapel. <laughs> came to, make, to wage war on Jehoshaphat. Some people came and told him, a vast army is coming against you from Eden, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already and has us on Tamar, that is in Gedi. Now the bad guys are finally getting smart. Instead of fighting Judah alone, three, three countries joined together. Um, to come to battle. And extra-biblical sources tell us that Judah's army was 1.16 million men. So you can imagine how vast these three armies were coming against um, Jehoshaphat. And, the, and, and painfully, this, the, the armies were already in Hezazon Tamar, which is only 25 miles from Jerusalem. Now, to get a picture of that, we're in Wilmore. That would be to go to the Kentucky Horse Park on the north side of Lexington. It's not that far. Now, granted, they didn't have tanks and motorized vehicles to come quick, and they couldn't call Uber to get here. But normally, a nation knew of approaching enemies way before 25 miles. The people were taken off guard. And suffering often surprises us. Battles pop up and conflicts erupt. 
Three best friends from seminary have walked through excruciating divorces. A dear friend was let go of an associate pastor position with the only explanation saying, not a fit. Talk about the confusion and the years of rebuilding confidence. I have missionary friends almost suffocating in loneliness. Blood, sweat, and tears couldn't keep my friend's church plant alive. Debilitating depression, lagging grief, all of this not to mention the challenge of ministering in a world where wrong seems right and right seems wrong. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But a lot of times that evil comes through humans. Verse 3 and 4. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. Jehoshaphat was first alarmed, and I'm so thankful that the Bible is filled with real people. I would be alarmed and afraid, too, if I found myself in this situation, or whatever situation you're feeling yourself alarmed or fearful today. God understands that. But immediately, he turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. Even in fear... His, his instinct was not to panic, but to pray. He didn't panic. He prayed. Now, my first instincts in this situation would have been to rally the troops, get the armies going, sharpen the swords, get the, um, call on the northern allies to come and help, secure the women and children, and I would probably eat more to have strength, not fast. But the instinct to pray, but he had the instinct to pray. That's the godly leader prays and doesn't panic. He fasts and he seeks the Lord. Even when the enemy is advancing, deadlines are approaching and immediate answers are demanded. The instinct to pray first will only come when the prayer, our prayer muscle is fully exercised. John Wesley said, holiness is the habitual disposition of the heart, cultivating Christ-like instincts. First, you pray. Next, we behold Jehoshaphat's beautiful prayer, a model for any time, but especially in times of suffering. Notice the majority of the prayer focuses on God and his faithfulness and only a small portion of their plea for help. Verse 6. Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Jehoshaphat voiced confidence in the God of heavens over Moloch and Baal and the Asherah poles and the high places, all the supposed powers of the people at the time. And the God of heaven today rules over atheism and Islam and Mormonism over al-Assad and Putin and Kim Jong-un, over all who seek to hurt and harm us. Going on, O oh God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Jehoshaphat's recalling God's past help. 
You know, the word remember is a key theme throughout the old Old Testament. And I can too easily forget God's faithfulness, carving my hurts in marble and my victories in sand. They have lived in it and have built it in a sanctuary for your name, saying if calamity comes upon us, whether the sort of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. He is pleading the promises of God and asking him to to honor their former obedience through these words that were also prayed by Solomon at the dedication of the temple. And then he lays the groundwork for the request. But now, here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. And that was because those people are descendants of Esau and Lot. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are preparing to repay us by coming to drive us out of this possession that you gave us as inheritance? And then the simple request, O God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It sounds like Hebrews. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Consider him who endured such opposition that we do not grow weary and lose heart. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I say that to the Lord so often with three teenage children in my home. This lesson is practical every day of our lives. Verse 13, all the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood before the Lord. Cultivating Christ-like instincts, first you pray and second you wait. The enemy was advancing, but all the men of Judah Their wives and children and little ones stood there waiting on the Lord. And an easy way to remember this is to pray and stay until you get the password from God. Verse 14, then the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. He said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all you who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge at the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take your positions, stand firm, and you will see the deliverance of the Lord. Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down his face to the ground, and all the people in Judah of Jerusalem, they fell down. You can just imagine these millions of people falling down and praising and worshiping before the Lord. And then some Levites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Twice. Jehaziel says, 
Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. And yes, I need to be reminded that at least twice in my battles. He also uses the same words that, Goliath, that David spoke to Goliath in 1 Samuel. The battle is the Lord's. Followed by the same words that Moses said to the people of Israel when they were stranded between the Egyptians and the Red Sea. Stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord. This is a theme. This is just not, you can't just say, oh, well, yeah, that's one instance back there, Karen, but it doesn't apply to my life. No, this is a theme throughout all scripture. The battle is the Lord's. Stand firm. And it is hard to stand firm in faith in the midst of insurmountable challenge. I absolutely love Rick Warren's illustration, how he compares how we want to fight our battles to a man who right was on an airplane, taking off on a huge plane, and starts standing up when they're on the runway and starts flapping his arms. And the flight attendant comes and says, what are you doing? Sit down. He's like, oh no, I've got to help this plane fly. I've got to help this plane fly. And he continued for about 45 minutes until he keeled over. But that's like us trying to help God fight the battle when it's his battle. I see this in my life and past, like some of us maybe think, oh dear, I need to get married. God help me. Okay, what should I do? Um, I'm going to go flap and flirt over here. I'll go over to Sundo Kim Hall. I think I, think I need some help there. Or maybe it's you're a senior and you want this great appointment coming up. Oh dear, God help me, what do I need to do? <gasps> I think I'll go flap and chum up to my district superintendent, my future one, so that I can get a good, good appointment. Or you're out in ministry and this parishioner, you know, just the lead parishioner you can tell can't stand you or something's wrong. It's like, what do I do? Oh God, I better flap over here and go please her in every way and even neglect my children and my spouse. That's what we tend to do. We think that we can help God. And God says, it's my battle. The Living Bible says, take your place, stand quietly, and see the incredible rescue operation God will provide for you. God sees the big picture. We have a limited view. God has our our ultimate good in mind, and I often have my limited temporary well-being in mind. Romans 12 says his way is good, pleasing, and perfect. So let's review our instincts to cultivate during these years of seminary. First, pray and fast with intensity. Second, stay, wait on the Lord. Now finally, praise as you obey. Verse 20, early in the morning they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and that would be translate for us today, in the word, in the word of God, and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever, which we sang and praised today so well. But does anything seem odd to you in this passage? They do not place the best swordsmen, the dead-aim dead archers, 
the largest, strongest men with metal-encrusted shields in front, but the singers, the strongest fall in line behind the tenors. Praise precedes battle. Verse 22, as they begin to sing in praise, as is the operative word here, as they begin to sing in praise, the Lord sent, set ambushes and it was done. It was done. Praise precedes battle and turns the tide to win the war. Psalm 8-2 says, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Give thanks to the Lord, for his love endures forever. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Because he knows that all circumstances ultimately will be used for our good. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. You already heard the rest of the story. The Lord confused the bad guys. They annihilated each other. When Judah arrived, they only saw dead bodies. The abundant plunder took three days to collect. And the fourth day, they assembled at the Valley of Barakah, which means blessing. And they praised the Lord. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they learned how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. The nations literally saw Judah as the very representative of God on the earth, which is the exact same purpose of the church of Jesus Christ today, for us to show God to the world. If I had time, I would share a few amazing stories um, when I experienced instantaneous victory like Judah as I began to praise and obey. Many victories took time, and like all of you, there are still some battles that I may pray, wait, and praise until the day I see Jesus face to face. But I don't have to be afraid or discouraged or flap around because the battle is the Lord's. At first, it may feel awkward, but let's ask God to help us to develop these instincts in battles, in questions, decisions, and struggles, to pray with fervency, to stay and wait on the Lord, and to praise as we obey. May it become so habitual that it's our only instinct. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you that you fight my battles, that you fight the church's battles, that you alone are the God of heavens above all, and also because of Jesus in and through all. Lord, I ask you to form deep identities in each of these students, anyone enrolled at Asbury, Lord, I ask that for the whole church, but God, I ask that you would use this season of seminary to form solid, strong, and deep identities. And then as we walk out those identities, Lord, that you would form in us instincts to not panic 
when situation, but to pray and wait even when time seems of such an essence. God, that you would go before us and behind us, surround us with your love and fight your battle for us. God, I ask you that this word would go deep down into our hearts. And as your word promises that it would not return void, but it would bear fruit for the intention that you have have written it down for us. And Lord, I ask you now as we worship that if, Lord, any of us just want to say yes today, I am going to face my pain and start developing my identity. Or today, God, I know that I am not one to first pray. And I panic and I take a poll of what everybody thinks I should do. God, no, if we want to be those that pray and wait and praise, Lord, I pray that through this worship that you will solidify that to our souls. Lord, we love you, and it's for your sake that we live, move, and have our being. In the name of Jesus, amen.